Good morning. It is really good to see you. And I, I'm not going to just uh, stop saying that anytime soon. Uh, I, I feel like uh, that phrase has become kind of new for me. Uh, and uh, it's just a lot richer. Uh, there's this gentleman by the name of Hank. And Hank had uh, just headaches, profound headaches. And uh, they wouldn't go away. So he went to the doctor and he's sitting on that thin, sticky paper on the bench. The doctor comes in and starts talking to him. Doctor starts trying to figure out what's going on, and he asks him, uh, so about this coffee, and if he's drinking a lot of coffee, how much coffee is he drinking? And, uh, yeah, and maybe he starts asking him a little bit about his alcohol consumption. Turns out, yeah, Hank is into both quite a bit. Doc says, okay, you're going to have to stop. Uh, in order to get, deal with your headaches, all right? So he turns it down a notch, a couple of notches. But the headaches continue. So Hank goes back to see the doctor, and the doctor then says, okay, so dude, what do you do for work? And you spend quite a bit of time in front of a screen and, and on your phone and screens. And yeah, Hank says, I spend a lot of time on screens. And I talk to him about his cell phone use, and the doc says, so look, you have to cut down your screen time or you've got to find yourself another job because you're in front of the computer a lot, and it could be contributing to your headaches. All right, Hank does. In fact, Hank gets a different job. But the headaches continue. So Frank, uh, Hank has another uh, appointment with the doctor. He opts up onto the thin, sticky paper again. Doctor says he's going to investigate a little further. S decides to loosen his tie a bit. Check. Turns out that Hank has been wearing a 15 collar but he's a 17 neck. <laughs> yeah. So that's all that. Uh, I was trying to find a tie this morning. <laughs> I have plenty, but turns out that most of them are pretty wide. Uh, but I wonder if that's kind of what it feels like in this post-pandemic, mid-pandemic, pre-endemic kind of porridge that we're in. Uh, I wonder if it feels like that, like just a tight kind of neck headache restricted kind of a feeling. But more importantly, what I wonder is, is that our conception of what it's like to follow Jesus? That it's about restriction and limitation and it's uncomfortable and it's awkward and it's tight and maybe headache-causing. But what does God really want for us? What is His preference, his desire for the state or condition of humankind. Uh, let me ask you, you might be familiar with this phrase. See if you can complete this phrase. When the going gets tough, good grief, you know that one. It's so easy, it rolls off. Uh, it's like you've memorized it. 
Because what's happening and what has happened in our environment, in the world in which we live, it's constantly messaging us. It's constantly giving us and shaping our way of thinking. And that sort of idea when the going gets tough, the tough get going, the idea is that when things are difficult, when it's uh, complicated or whatever the circumstance, then you need to essentially try harder. That's, that's what the world is saying. You've got to just dig in, lean in, and try harder. That's the world's message, uh, is just make it work. And so we, we then, from there, we extrapolate to this concept of work ethic. Uh, you've got to have a really good work ethic, a strong work ethic. But when I would ask you, if I were to ask you what comes to mind when I say work ethic, what's one of the first things that pops into your mind? Uh, well, number of hours. You work a lot of hours. A person uh, is talks uh, at, at, you know, work or a circumstance, he's got a good work ethic. It means he works a lot of hours or she works a lot of hours. Interesting to me because there's more to a work ethic than just volume or number of hours. There's speed, the speed at which you have to do something. There's intensity going from one thing to the next. And there's complexity of your work. There's actually a lot going on, truly, but we glean towards volume or the number of hours because our concept of time is that it is a commodity. It's a product. We could even say that time is money. And so we just zip along. Let me try another popular uh, phrase for you. If you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. Oh, man, you guys, are, you're, you're memorizing. <laughs> I'm going to start in the fall. We're going to start with Scripture. If you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. That's another message that the world is shaping and telling us, informing and messaging us all the time. And what that means is that it's up to you. Not only do we have to try harder and we've got to spend a lot of time and just burn hours, but it's also if you, that whatever the circumstance, the difficulty, the scenario is, that it's actually up to you. So we have this erroneous concept of... Uh, that we can be self-sufficient, and it, it bolsters independence. It's up to me, it's up to you. And then the third, the trifecta in this, when we're in these circumstances of difficulty and shifting tides and, and, and the unknown, the third part is this uh, sort of malformed concept of place. Yes, it's difficult, the, the circumstance is difficult, but often we can develop this idea that where we are and the circumstance and earth or whatever the case is actually bad, that the place is bad. And what we want to do is escape. We want to get out. We want to leave as though we want to fly away, as the song goes as opposed to actually looking at the circumstance in the place. Is the place actually bad? And how this translates and begins to form a religion, you can see how it goes now is that we're, the religion becomes a matter of escaping, about getting a ticket on an airplane, 
and talking to other people is about converting them or making sure that they have a ticket on that plane and we aren't even concerned and it, it, it causes us to scramble in the present to deal with what we have in the present. But what does God desire for us? What is His preference or His desire for uh, the condition of human beings here and now and for all people. I'm going to uh, go to a psalm this morning. And as I do, rather than ask you to turn to it, I'm going to ask you to dwell in it. And to do this dwelling in it, I'm going to ask you as I recite this psalm, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Now, this might be a familiar psalm, uh, a popular psalm in many ways. But I'm going to ask you as I recite this psalm to close your eyes and allow the words to project images onto the imagination of your, the, the screen of your imagination. Actually picture what is going on. Enter into it. What do you feel? What do you hear? What do you sense? What do you feel as we go through this psalm? Let's dwell in this psalm together. The Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths, right paths for His namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. almost feel the green soft grass you can almost see the the water the little diamonds kind of light sparkling on the water the sun the warmth of it it's beautifully quiet and serene it's wonderful it's awesome 
it's so unusual. Because in the ancient Near East, it was rocky and dry and sparsely covered hills. So this was extraordinary. And the Lord is a shepherd, a good shepherd, leading, leading, not forcing, not driving, but leading, providing and protecting, caring, loving. Bringing interested in all people, interested in all the flock. God's love is his glory. His care and his concern is his glory. And when David dwells in that reality of the nature and character of the Lord, he realizes that he will not have to strive. He doesn't need, he doesn't strive. He is confident that he will lack nothing that he truly needs. Because the Lord is his good shepherd. It's interesting to me. David. King David. Artistic, musical, courageous, athletic, and yet he identifies with the sheep. <laughs> he identifies with sheep. Sheep, not goats, but sheep. An animal that is absolutely dependent on a shepherd. A sheep Sheep that are dependent on a shepherd to provide pasture and water to protect them. In fact, it is David's dependence on the Lord that gives him assurance and confidence. Because he has taken his dependence and placed it on the Lord and no one or nothing else. And his ultimate hope and goal and the promise is that he will dwell with the Lord. That word dwell in Hebrew in the Old Testament has always meant that, that word, uh, rather, house of the Lord, has always meant temple. House of the Lord has always meant temple. It does not mean the... <clears throat> Location, the heavenly location of God somewhere, but it has meant and always means temple, an actual location, a temple. And we understand from the early part of creation in Genesis that earth was and is the temple of God. And that the gathered group of Jesus' followers is the temple of God. And then individually, we too. And so what David is coming to this realization is the character of who Yahweh is, what he is like, 
and the promise of being together. It is this idea of presence and relationship. It is not escape, an idea of escape out of, but being present, being able to dwell with the Lord presently. This song, 23, the imagery is a scene of a shepherd bringing a flock to repose at noontime. In the midst of the day, the shepherd brings the flock to a time of rest. It sounds like the Sabbath time at creation. It sounds like that time in the garden with Adam and Eve at the beginning when they were together and it was delightful. And the Lord is even now in Psalm 23 again reciting this as David is and recalling this. But it isn't this idea of rest or repose is not just a case of ceasing activity. It's not empty. It's full. Like a whole rest in a score of music. It is full. This rest is full because it brings peace. And in the fullness of peace, also peace physically, peace emotionally and mentally. It's full. And in that peace that comes in this time of rest, peace then moves towards restoring our inner being from being restless and full of angst and fear and frenetic and all of these things and agitated, but that rest brings peace and tranquility and a restoration of our very beings. This is what the Lord desires for us. He desires tranquility and peace for human beings, all human beings, and that even here and now. I know that there are a lot of uh, in, in the workforce, there are a lot of people working. I know that there's a lot of competition. We have, and, and I remember when I started in the workforce myself, it, before I went to seminary, and I remember being at a law firm the largest law firm in the country at that time, working downtown Toronto. And I remember talking to the gentleman as I was starting my orientation and they were talking about my work history. And I remember the COO at the time who was doing my orientation said to me, oh, so you're a workaholic. And I was like, oh, I had never thought of that before. 
because I had gotten so wound up in everything, I didn't even realize what was going on. And I had just bought in, and I was in completely. And we can be going along, and when circumstances like we're in right now where things are shifting and changing, and as David talks about going through the darkest valley, the world is going to tell us what you already know when the going gets tough or if you're going to do it, do it yourself. And when we're in these difficult circumstances and mostly what we're doing, if we let that happen, is we let the circumstances of life and the world around us drive the way we think, the way we live and what we do. And it kind of looks like this. We just, uh, oh, well then how about we just try something else. We just move it another way. We're going to just put our hands together. We're going to work a little harder. We're going to try something else because it is up to you and we've got to try a little harder. And this is what we're passing on to the young people. And this is what they're getting. Is There's no rest for the... But what's going on, what the psalmist reminds us about is the Sabbath that the Lord has intended for us. And what he's saying is, even when things are nutty, and even when the world has given you, messaging you all kinds of stuff, he says, you know what the Lord wants to do? The Lord wants to bring some balance, even when it's, difficult, he's going to bring balance through rest, through peace, through tranquility, and we get rest. Because the Lord's desire is to introduce balance and peace and tranquility. And when that happens, we come to a place of rest. We come to a place where there is peace and a place where we can restore our souls. Do you realize that labor and toil is a description of what would happen after Adam and Eve alienated themselves from the Lord? Pain and labor and toil is a description of what happened after Adam and Eve said, thanks, well, we've got this, we're going to try it on our own. And the Lord said, yeah, and you will, I'll allow you, but you're going to have to work hard, there'll be lots of pain and toil, etc. So it wasn't this, this idea of Sabbath and, and presence and relationship with the Lord in the garden, now that was disrupted and interrupted. 
And we understand as we go into the book of Revelation that the Lord is going to restore that again sometime in the future. He's going to restore the Sabbath again. He's going to restore that again in sometime in the future. And there will be no more pain and no more toil and no more tears and all of that again. And so the time that we have, one scholar put it that people that are in presence with the Lord and acknowledging and understanding presence with the Lord in the present, that that time, the time that we have is actually eternity in disguise. The time that we have right now, being aware of the presence of the Lord and finding peace and tranquility is actually bringing the Sabbath, our understanding of the Sabbath and what the Lord has meant for us, and that eschatological understanding of the future where we are destined. And since we know that, we can read that into our present. You can read that design and that promise into the present. There's this justification that we are meant to be with the Lord. The Good Shepherd. It was prophesied in the Old Testament era that there would come a person, an anointed one, a special one, a Messiah that would come from God and He would lead the people of God. He would lead humankind. He would be this special shepherd. And when Jesus arrived and began his public ministry, he identified himself as that good shepherd. In John 10, he describes himself as the good shepherd. And he says, what's interesting, he says is the sheep will hear his voice. It's like this relationship. Do you know when you're in a mall and, and a friend or your parent or guardian or a friend, if you're in a mall and you're going along and it can be all full of people, but when that friend or parent or, or a guardian calls your name or they shout out, it's weird, but you can recognize that. You recognize their voice. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And People will, my sheep will hear my voice. They will know me. They will, this time that we spend together, it will become so familiar. They will know me. And he says, at one point, I will lay down my life for my sheep. That's the kind of good shepherd that I am. And on the night he was betrayed, downtown Jerusalem, he sat together with his disciples the table was prepared before him in the midst of his enemies. The shepherd identifying with the sheep. After they shared that meal together and they sang some hymns, they went for a walk. All of them Peter, James, and John accompanied Jesus on a little further, and he went, Jesus went into the garden to pray and to be quiet. He walked into 
the darkest valley. And he turned to God, the shepherd, identifying with the sheep. And it wouldn't be long before he was betrayed and ultimately killed. Buried. But on the third day, according to Scripture, he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he is alive today, and he remains the good shepherd. Jesus is alive and is the good shepherd. And as extraordinary and fantastic as it sounds, it is also beautiful. Beautifully and wonderfully true. The Lord wants us to know that He is a good shepherd, that He is good and a good shepherd, and that He cares for all human beings created in His image, and that He is calling us to rest, to times of peace and the restoration of your soul. He wants us to know that. He has a deep and profound concern and love. The Lord wants you all to know that, and He wants other people to know that as well. To have times, a regular pattern of seeking His presence, enjoying His presence, and times of rest, not labor. It's in returning to rest that you will be saved, declares the Lord already in Isaiah. Rest and redeem the time. Friends, every single difficulty that we experience and have in life is one that we will go through. Every single difficulty and challenge is one that we will go through. We cannot go around it. We can't somehow go over it. As the song goes, we can't go under it. We will go through it. And as we are going through even this complicated transitional time that we are in, and the difficulty that you might be having personally, or whatever the circumstance, those circumstances, whatever they are, as difficult as they are, is a circumstance that you will go through, and you will depend on something to go through that. You might be depending on an extra shot of tequila. You might be depending on working a few more extra hours to try and get it done. You might be depending on uh, taking your boat, your bike, or your car and r ripping uh, up the mountain or along the water. But we're all depending on something. Maybe you're going to depend on your smarts, your education, or your ability to speak quickly, or your marks. We depend on something. What the Lord is inviting us to do is to depend on the Good Shepherd. And rest is an expression of trust. Rest is an expression of trust. You know, 
in wintertime, if you've ever been swerving and you've gotten a bit out of control on the ice, the instinct is to just start working the steering wheel. The solution, believe it or not, is to actually let go of the steering wheel for a moment. Rest is an expression of trust in the Good Shepherd. And David says, this happens presently. We call the kingdom into the present. We call the Sabbath that we were designed for into the present. We call what the promise is of the future, that eschatological promise when Jesus returns, we call that into the present right now. We're calling the Sabbath into the present. The kingdom has come right here, right now, for this moment. And you know that phrase, in the presence of my enemies... Who or what are our enemies? Rather than trying to escape, which is not possible as we know, who or what are our enemies that are causing the angst, that are causing the fear and the anxiety? Is it the enemy? Listen, we are in a spiritual battle. We know that there are spiritual forces of wickedness that are constantly lying to us and telling us the things that aren't true and trying to get us to memorize worldly phrases instead of Scripture and shape the way we think that is totally backwards from the kingdom way of thinking. And so what are our enemies in the present? Is... Is uncertainty an enemy? Because we just don't know. And, and, and Is the virus an enemy? Is cancer an enemy? Who are the enemies that are in the midst of our enemies, in the midst of the enemies all around us? I hope we don't have people as enemies. But the promise of the good shepherd is that he will bring peace and tranquility through rest in the midst of the enemies, in the midst of the things that are causing all this turmoil and, and difficulty. The pandemic was one thing. Now we're moving into morphing into this next stage where there's more complexities and more moving parts. And we say the Lord is our shepherd. So we won't want. We're going to slow down. We're going to trust the Lord. We're going to find times of rest. Actually, rest is the work. We know about rest because it's actually built into how we're made. We have a daily cycle of rest. Isn't it weird that in every 24-hour period, human beings just go, Phew. is that weird? Like we actually just like blink, we turn off, we go, we call it sleeping, right? It's kind of weird. We've built right into that, this daily cycle needing rest. 
this weekly cycle that the Lord has designed for us, meant for us to, to, to repose, to, to take some rest, to bring peace and tranquility to restore our souls. There's even this thing that athletes know about. It's called periodicity, but this idea of regular scheduled periods of rest and recovery and tapering and all of that. In fact, it's so important that it's actually the rest where a lot of the work actually happens. But we push all that aside because the world is convincing us otherwise. So the thing we're passing on, young people, we're passing on to our young people is work harder, try harder, more hours, more medication. What if we take our Sundays differently? as an example. What if this starts our week? What if the worship service is the start of our week where we call it a Sabbath rest, where it's full, not empty where we just stop stuff, but it's full of peace, where we come together and we see this as a rejuvenating time filled with acknowledging the Lord as our shepherd, seeking Him, listening to Him, could you imagine, could you imagine when you go to work that you view your work situation differently, that it's not just a matter of putting in hours and all of that, but that you view your work differently, that you view your time differently? Could you imagine that there are times when you turn your phone off? Could you imagine where you spend Take some time where you do not go onto Facebook, Insta, Snap, or TikTok. Where you just say, nope. I'm voting for the green grass, the tranquil water, and the trail. And incidentally, Calgary, we have that here. I mean, you don't have to go anywhere. Could you imagine redeeming the time in that way? But I want to talk especially to the, the teenagers and the young adults. Because you've got something really special here. Because there's maybe an extra dose of anxiety among that age group. A lot of pressure. And you'll be seeing students online and co-workers online and in person. And you have an opportunity. If you take times of rest and you redeem the time, you have an opportunity to invite another student, another classmate, or another friend into the same idea. That the way you live becomes invitational. The way you live, and someone looks and says, so I notice there's some kind of, you know, peace about you. And you can invite them into doing that too. I know that even for me after these years, I still check with my wife 
because for some reason I feel, what, I don't know, guilty maybe about taking a Sabbath. And I will be, we'll be walking with, uh, I'll be walking with Kimberly and I'll say, you know, is it okay that we're just taking some rest? And I mean, after all these years, and she'll say, Gary, yes, of course it is. So friends, we have work to do to again allow the scriptures and the work of the Holy Spirit to form and inform the way we think, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And to rest and to redeem the time. I want to invite the music team to come forward. And as they do, I invite you to pray with me. We're concluding our mini-series this morning, Redeem the Time. Heavenly Father, we pause We acknowledge how we are so shaped and conditioned by the messaging that's all around us. We're so thankful that you love us, you care for us, and you're not asking us to be perfect. You're just asking us for presence, to be with you, and we understand that your whole promise is that you are with us. Lord, we've learned about joy and laughter. Learned through you about listening and how you invite us to times of rest and presence, intentional awareness and noticing with you. Lord, you are our shepherd. And when you are leading, we will not want, we do not have to strive. You invite us to lie down in green pastures and you lead us beside still waters and you restore our souls and you lead us through right paths for your namesake. And even when we are in those dark valleys, you are with us. We do not need to fear any evil. Lord Jesus, we pray in your name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would cast out fear, that you would do battle in the spiritual realm, that you would silence the attacks of the enemies, and that you would begin the profound and beautiful work of bringing peace where there is anxiety. That you would prepare a table that you would invite people around a table of fellowship and communion and food in the midst of what is a difficult time. That you will fill our cups, that you will give us plenty to overflowing. 
that we will be so convinced and confident that you are with us, that you are always with us, and that you will be with us on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. And that we will dwell with you. We are in your temple, and we will gather again. Lord, this earth is your temple. We pray that you would cleanse it and bring your kingdom through moments and days. Bring your kingdom. And make us a people. Shape us to be a people that invite others to the green grass and the tranquil water and the table. Inviting people to your table.